just, I couldn't be alone with it anymore. I had to be public. And that was so contrary to what I wanted to do. But eventually my life got bigger than the behavior. So I, I did keep showing up for my life. And so eventually it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to focus on this behavior and make it better. No, I got to focus on other things like my dreams, my work as a writer and as an actor and different things where those things became more important. And this was a slow process for me. Many of us have seen movies or television shows that depict or allude to characters engaging in self-harming behavior, like non-suicidal self-injury, or NSSI for short. Of course, every writer and director is different and each has their own intentions and motivations, but what goes into the writing of these characters? How are such films inspired, and how do writers and directors choose to frame self-injury content? To talk about her independent feature film called Perfection, what inspired her to create it, and how she chose to frame the character self-injury, today we have the opportunity to hear from screenwriter, director, and actress, Christina Beck. Welcome to the Psychology of Self-Injury podcast, a resource for parents, professionals, and people with lived experience. I'm your host, Dr. Nicholas Westers, clinical psychologist at Children's Health, associate professor at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, and chair of the Media and Communications Committee of the International Society for the Study of Self-Injury, or ISSS, or simply IISS. Today's episode is unique in that it was recorded as a live virtual session held during the 2022 17th Annual IISS Conference on June 24th, which leads me to preface today's episode with a couple comments to place it in context. As an IISS invited fellow, Dr. Paul Plenner gave a presentation immediately preceding this discussion, which you will hear Christina reference a couple times. Also, the purpose of this interview is not to critique or endorse any particular film, including perfection, or the language used in discussing it. But the purpose is to explore what goes into making a film that depicts self-injury and what thought processes filmmakers like Christina have as they determine how to frame self-injury on screen. You can access the link to the movie in the episode notes, along with a link to the media guidelines for the responsible reporting and depicting of non-suicidal self-injury published by the IISS Media and Communications Committee. Finally, I was reminded at this year's conference that listening to and participating in conversations about self-injury, including each podcast episode we release, can be emotionally heavy. So if you're having a rough day emotionally or need to do some self-care, give us a pause and come back to listen when you're ready. We'll be here. Hi, everyone. I have the honor of co-facilitating this session in talking with the actor and director of the independent feature film Perfection, in which the main character, Christabel, engages in non-suicidal self-injury. You can view the film at perfectionthemovie.wordpress.com, but please note that some content could be upsetting. So we appreciate and value the different views and understandings of NSSI reflected both in the movie and in today's conversation. And to co-facilitate this conversation, I have the privilege of introducing Dr. Barry Walsh, a stranger to no one in the field of NSSI. I would consider him the grandfather of self-injury research and clinical work. And Dr. Walsh is Executive Director Emeritus and Senior Clinical Consultant at Open Sky Community Services, a human service agency headquartered in Worcester, Massachusetts. And he's also a lecturer of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School's Cambridge Health Alliance in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Last year in 2021, he was one of our two inaugural IISS invited fellows. And together, we will be interviewing Christina Beck, who directed and acted in the film Perfection. 
Christina is a film professor at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles and began her career in such cult films as Suburbia, Boys Next Door, and Dudes. She was one of three women accepted into Fox Searchlight's new director's program, won the Adrian Shelley Female Directing Award, and her debut feature film, Perfection, was a Gotham Independent Film Award nomination for Best Screenplay. Perfection has screened at a number of film festivals, including the USA Film Festival right here in Dallas, where I live, as well as the Oxford Film Festival, where Christina won Best Actor and Best Narrative Feature. Our roundtable discussion here at the 17th Annual ISSS Conference is being audio recorded as a forthcoming episode of the Psychology of Self-Injury podcast. Feel free to submit any questions that you have in the chat, and we'll do our best to present them to Christina in our short 45-minute interview. So hi, Christina. We are happy to have you here at ISSS. Hello. Hi. I'm so grateful to be here and really honored to be a part of this discussion. Thank you for having me. Can you start by giving us a synopsis of your film as this will place in context the rest of our interview for those who haven't seen it? Yes, sure. So Perfection is a story about a woman who cuts herself to feel something, to feel alive. And she is in her 30s and she still lives with her mother who also cuts herself through the more socially acceptable process of plastic surgery. So it's a bit of a journey of these two women navigating the causes and conditions that are underneath the behaviors. And it is a narrative film, so it's it's not a documentary about these topics. However, it is in my intention for the story to allow many different ways for these women to begin to heal. They don't get all wrapped up at the end of the movie because that really doesn't feel realistic. However, through different people in the community and and awarenesses that they start to have, we see that there is a road to healing and hope. So IMDB shows that the film released in 2012, if I'm correct. (laughs) Can you share with us how you decided to submit a proposal to present on it here at this year's 2022 IISSS conference? Yes. Well, first of all, don't believe everything you read on IMDb. (laughs) No, uh, they get their information through different channels. Now, you mentioned the Dallas Film Festival, which I was so happy to come out and screen there. So that is where we premiered. And that was in 2012. However, the film wasn't quite ready. We had our proper distribution in 2016. So technically the release was 2016, but all that to say, the reason I submitted and heard about you all was um, because for me and the producers involved in Perfection, we always really dreamed of this film project to be useful beyond the film world per se in entertainment. It really warms my heart that it is still able to be a place where we can have these conversations, to bring awareness to a subject matter that has a lot of misunderstood ideas around it. And yeah, I mean, you know, in the film world, you're kind of hot for a minute, but then because I am a cinephile, I always look back at other films and find resource and inspiration for many different reasons. And so, yeah, I feel like in one way, sadly, this story is timeless, meaning that there are people still suffering in silence with this behavior. And if there's any way in what we've created with this film to make someone feel a little less alone or isolated, I hope that we can carry on showing it as long as 
we get to do that. So that's my long answer to your question. Christina, nice to meet you virtually. Nice to meet you. I much enjoyed your powerful film. You've mm -hmm. shared that you had your own history of self-injury. Can I ask how much of this film was autobiographical versus fictional? Well, I don't really know about a percentage per se, but I will say that the inspiration for the film is autobiographical in that I did grow up in the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> My mother is a wonderful, was a wonderful person. She has passed. However, I grew up with her in a culture that was very much focused on exterior beauty. And she explored that through plastic surgery. And for myself, I was not, a, I am not a cutter. I was not a cutter. However, in the film, my character picks at her skin as well. And the reason that behavior for me became very painful in around, well, really all my teenage years up into my thirties, I would go at my skin in a way with my hand, my own hands that was very destructive. And um, what happened was I couldn't control the behavior and I was in therapy and it was painful. I would go into sort of an emotional blackout in the mirror and then come out and have a gash in my face caused by my own hand, literally. And I um, have been an actress and was an actress at that time. So it was very self-defeating and a lot of sabotage was going on with that and a lot of self-hatred. So in my therapy, I was guided to talk about it. This is a little bit of an outside issue, but maybe not. I am in 12-step recovery. So I spoke about it on a group level with a group of women who came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I do this and I do that. And we are not talking about that in these rooms per se. So what ended up happening is I got a group of women who were cutters. And that's when I started writing the script. So I felt that I was able to incorporate their true stories along with this other behavior that I was struggling with to create this narrative. So I hope that answers your question. It takes a lot, of go, a lot of courage to go public with what you just described. It's my story. <laughs> you know, and if it can help somebody, that is the whole intention here. You know, we're human and survival skills come in many different shapes and forms. Thank you so much. Have any of the women in the group seen the film? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's been amazing to have been able to take bits and pieces from everyone's story. And also, I worked with some therapists. And you mentioned, and I'm glad that you mentioned, that there are some scenes in the film that could be triggering and, and not appropriate for certain audiences. And with that, I was very conscious. I did not want this to be harmful. <laughs> that is, it's quite the opposite. So I gave the script to a few therapists and we had early screenings as well to see uh, it's a, it's a fine line, you know, to be truthful and not really back off from what that behavior, this behavior is, but also again, to be mindful that it could be triggering. So all that to say, the women that were involved in the process of the script were very happy and felt very seen and heard through this story and through the character that I created. 
What kind of feedback or constructive criticism did some of the therapists have? Well, most of it, I can't honestly say that I had anything negative, which was great. Through the process of writing a screenplay, there's I got notes for many different reasons from many different people. But once we actually made the film finally, which I don't know if you know this, but it took me two and a half years to make this film because we shot on the weekends and I did have a, a first look deal with a major studio with the script, which was wonderful. However, they weren't uh, willing to make a film with a protagonist with this particular issue. So we shopped it around and then eventually ended up making it very independently. So all that to say, when we were able to screen it for uh, some therapists, I got wonderful feedback, meaning that they felt that it was a positive tool to have a discussion. We even in Los Angeles here, we had a special screening for a bunch of different therapists and treatment centers here on the West Coast and in L.A., where they watched the film, we had a Q&A afterwards with a couple of therapists along with myself and the lead actress who played my mother in the film. And it was, it was, they felt, they feel that it's a good tool to bring up the discussion and talk about different pockets of the behavior. They at one point even broke down the story in this therapeutic way that I was like, oh my God, that's very impressive. I, I didn't do that on purpose. I wish I could take credit for that. Needless to say, it's been very positive. Naturally, as therapists, we're interested in what helps. What can you say about what helped you in your recovery and what was counterproductive and unhelpful and should we avoid? Well, as we know, you know, everyone has their own journey with this kind of stuff. For me, what was first helpful was to let go of the secret of it, was to tell somebody, to say that in a group you know, when I've screened the film all over the country and over the world, I've had people come up to me afterwards and still in this sort of shameful hushes of like, oh, I have someone who died, my sister or my girlfriend or my daughter, you know. And so there's a stigma of the behavior. So to me, the first thing was to like, yep, this is this is what I'm dealing with. For some reason now it's okay to say I'm a drug addict or say that I'm an alcoholic or something, but this isn't, this has a different energy to it. And, and I don't know if it still does. I, I feel like it might. So to be able to say, hey, this is, this is something I'm dealing with. This is what's going on. And then from there, and I love hearing Paul and the things that he was speaking about here about the different things that they're looking at in terms of solution. And I tried a lot of different things. For me, and this may sound a little woo-woo and I hope not, it became a process of spiritual solution, meaning that this behavior was bigger than me. I couldn't control it. If I could control it, I would have, you know, if I could have controlled the feelings, you know, underneath that were causing me to harm myself, I would have, I'm, I'm a pretty intelligent person. You know, I, I didn't want to do the behavior. I knew it was destructive and I knew it was sabotaging me. However, I was powerless over it. What can I do but surrender and try a bunch of different things? At one point, because at night the behavior was so bad, I had a friend spend the night and stay with me, sort of babysit me, you know, and that kind of worked. It, it kind of didn't. Also, this one therapist had me, Every time I picked up my skin, I had to put a quarter or a nickel in a jar. Like I had to, I had to pay for it, you know, to, 
bring, I think, a consciousness to the behavior because I was doing it unconsciously. So then it was like, okay, and I didn't have enough nickels, you know, that was a weird thing. And then it was honestly years. It was years of really suffering. I had periods where it wasn't as bad. And then eventually, I guess it's hard to say, and this is not a, a concrete answer. It was a process of willingness and also just really constantly saying, this is what's going on with me. Because eventually I did, I got married and I was living with somebody. I would be in the bathroom and he'd say, hey, what are you doing in there? And I was like, oh, nothing, you know. But then I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm picking at my skin. And he's like, okay, well, why don't you come out of the bathroom? For me, I guess the thing is, is that I couldn't be alone with it anymore. I had to be public. And that was so contrary to what I wanted to do. My ego didn't want that. The part of me that was getting something out of the behavior didn't want that. But eventually, and I love what Paul said about what I heard was my life got bigger. It, my life got bigger than the behavior. So I, I did keep showing up for my life. And so eventually it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to focus on this behavior and make it better. No, I got to focus on other things like my dreams, my work as a writer and as an actor and different things where those things became more important. And this was a slow process for me. So I, I do wish I had like a, a quick do this and that happens. I, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad that what you just said was recorded. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Were you still struggling or in engaging in the skin picking as you were writing, directing, and acting in the film? A little bit with the writing. By the time we got to make the film, I had some space from it. Although I would joke with my makeup artist because we would put make like scabs and stuff on my face. And then I was like, well, actually, I got one for my own. You don't have to do that one. I think we're good. But yeah, and and again, the stress of things was, it was a coping skill. And so um, sometimes, but it wasn't at the extent that it was in the past. Actually, that's a, I, well, they're all good questions, but I think that question is very um, much speaks to the last thing that I was talking about because it was like, I had a bigger mission. You know, I wanted to make this movie and I really wanted to walk the walk, so to speak. I wasn't pretending that, I was cured, but I, but I also, I couldn't be as engaged in my own self-harm when I was trying to do this bigger thing. Janice Whitlock has a question. Do you want to speak it, Janice? Sure, that's fine. Thanks, Perry. Thank you so much. This is so great. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm wondering, given, you know, everything that you've been through and how many years it took for you to get to where you are, if you could give advice to your younger self from the vantage point of where you are now, what would you say? Oh, that makes me so emotional. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> um, don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. You know, hang in there. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Mm, thank you. Relatedly, Christina, one thing about the film that I appreciate is that it's an adult having done this podcast, a lot of adults have reached out and say, I, I just, I would love to hear an adult share about their experience. And here you are as an adult sharing your experience. So Janice just asked what advice you would give, what you would say to your younger self, what would you say to other adults that might either be engaging in skin picking or cutting or any other form of self-injury? Yeah, well, I would say 
kind of the same thing. And, you know, when we were pitching the film, a lot of executives and Hollywood people were like, oh, but that's a teenage behavior. And we're like, yeah, but actually, because in my journey, besides myself, I met a lot of other people, a lot of adults that were doing this behavior. And I said, you know, what happens if a teenager maybe never gets to deal with those core issues and then they're continuing into their 30s and 40s and wherever, and they're still doing the behavior? They're really alienated. They really don't have anyone to look to for solutions. So it's kind of the same answer to reach out and tell someone, talk to someone, find a community. At the time when I was writing this script, there was not as many resources as there are today. I think, you know, the good and bad news of our social media and the world that we're in today, there are a lot of resources and hopefully more in person too, because I think you know, we can hide behind Zoom a little bit, even though it's a wonderful tool, but to absolutely talk about it. And I had an amazing experience when I was raising more money to try to finish the film. We had a fundraising uh, campaign and put it online and I put it on Facebook and I felt it was ridiculous because I've already tapped out anyone that's ever met me, you know, but the film wasn't finished yet. So we had this campaign And literally within the first hour we put it online, we had an anonymous donation of $5,000. And I was like, what, who, huh? That's crazy, you know? And not only was it amazing and gave me hope to keep going, I sent a note to the person and I said, I see that you're anonymous, but I really have to ask, why do you want to give to this film? And he said, because I am a man in my 50s and I've been cutting myself all my life and I really want to see, I want to see this movie. And it turned out that he was a very, very, very successful, obviously won't say his name, uh, TV writer. And the entertainment industry's won countless Emmys. And not only did he have the money to help us out, but he suffered with this behavior in silence forever. And I thought, wow, that's, there are, again, there's just so many people, we don't know everyone's story. And this particular behavior is, can be so incredibly secretive. So I think the first step to healing for anyone at any age is to tell someone and keep talking about it. I never run out of questions, unfortunately. I have a clinical question. As a therapist, I've treated people with self-injury for 40 plus years. And I've always felt that people with skin picking were some of the hardest people to treat because the behavior, at least the people that I worked with, would often be quasi-automatic. They wouldn't even be aware of doing it. Some of them seem to do it in their sleep. And you don't need a tool and you can't get rid of a tool because the tool is your hands, right? I found that harm reduction was a useful technique with some of the people I treated. And by that, I mean, someone might have 30 spots of picking on their body and they would decide, well, I'm not, I'm gonna pick because I can't stop yet, but I'm not gonna pick my face because my husband doesn't like it or it's more visible. And I wonder, did a harm reduction approach like that ever prove useful for you? Is that something you used? Well, that's, yeah, that's a great question. And, and I hear you in terms of this being such a very tricky thing, the skin picking. I think it wasn't just one thing. I remember 
wearing like cotton gloves at night. <laughs> so in my sleep, I wouldn't, you know, I would look for things to pick at. It wasn't the behavior. It was what was underneath it for me, you know, and I, I believe for a lot of us, you know, it was, it was this old idea, this very weird and twisted core belief that I was somehow bad. And I wanted to prove outside that that was true. So for me, it hasn't been one thing. It's been a, a lot of work on myself internally, mostly. And then the behavior became, started to lessen as I, you know, as corny as it sounds, started to love myself from the inside out. It wasn't an exterior thing. It was, and yes, I tried a million different, not a million, but a, a lot of different things, a lot of suggestions, different parts of my body. You know, I know other women that do it and it's a, it's a form of control. You know, I know you guys know all this, but for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to reject myself before you reject me. So there, mm -hmm. I take myself out of the game eventually. And this is, it took a long time for me, like decades to finally just get to a place where that just wasn't, I, I wasn't getting anything out of it. I guess for, I wasn't ready. And it's really hard to say that to anybody who's harming themselves, especially when they're suffering with it. I know that there are the many therapists that I saw were really wanting to help me. The good news and the bad news was it had to come from within. It was inside the house and, and inside this house, I needed to find that love and deep, you know, resource that, isn't my willpower. Cause if it was about that, I would have been able to do it a long time ago, but it was about putting things in place, meaning my own self love and reason to be here. It had to become bigger than the behavior. I don't know if that answers your question. And it's such a tricky misunderstood behavior that it's, I don't know if there's one, I don't, I don't think there's one thing. Thank you. It went way beyond my question. Okay. <laughs> and I know in your description of the film, you talk about the main character's journey from self-injury to self-love, and it sounds like that stems from your own journey. Yes, absolutely. And for me, being a writer not only was a powerful tool to write a film, hopefully helpful for others, but to write out my feelings. And I have a scene in the movie where she journals and all of that. Journaling has been a huge part of my recovery. And I, I journal to this day. I wake up early so I can get those feelings out. And I'm a big fan of Julia Cameron and the artist's way. She talks about the morning pages. I've been doing them for decades now. And I just feel weird if I don't do it because it's part of my connection. The film is about characters that are having a hard time connecting big shock and surprise. I was having a hard time connecting. So the connection had to start with myself. And so journaling for me and writing for me is such a way for me to tap into what's going on. And it can be, you know, FU letters and to everybody, and it can be my fears and doubts. And it can also be affirmations that I don't necessarily believe because for years people are like do affirmations in the mirror. And it's like, ah. you know, and, and I've done them and I've not done them, but it's again, writing for me is just this really powerful tool of connection. Yeah. 
Going back to the film, a tougher question here or a deeper question related to the film, what were some of the tension points about what you decided to show, whether related to self-injury, sexual abuse, substance misuse? And can you explain some of your thought processes and selecting scenes and content that walk these lines? For instance, some scenes in the movie might be triggering for certain people, like showing the actual cutting episode, displaying scars and fresh cuts or fresh wounds on the face from skin picking, and even the, the main character fidgeting with the razor blade. And there are even some brief flashbacks that allude to sexual abuse. On the other hand, some of these scenes could validate other people's experiences, like thinking, oh, she struggles with wearing sleeveless dresses too, or I'm not alone in struggling with intimacy or connecting with others. Yeah, thank you. Um, great question. And I really was conscious of all of those aspects of this. And I originally, well, and my intention always was to create a project that would inspire healing and hope. And I did not want to glamorize or exploit or anything like that. So with the scars and the things like that, those were kind of no-brainer choices for me because they're part of my experience in terms of the picking. And with cutting, my producers and I kind of struggled with showing the actual cutting. I wrote it in the script. We didn't shoot it. And then we ended up doing a pickup shoot, was like a reshoot, to shoot those scenes. And I showed it to some people and um, I had some feedback that this is a movie that really directly addresses this behavior that I can't back off from what is truthful. So we made that choice to put the cutting, the actual cutting scenes in the film. It is the behavior. And I know, you know, it's interesting what I heard Paul say too about something about the seeing of the blood. That from especially the people that I've talked to who were major cutters, that's part of the release of the tension. Yeah, it's tricky because I, again, don't ever want to exploit or glamorize this subject matter at all, but I also felt that it was right to show it. I mean, the beginning scene also um, <laughs> used to have, I wanted to put the connection with blood and menstruating. In the beginning scene, we also, in the script, had that she was on her period and we saw that blood. And then we decided not to have that in the film. Being human is messy, right? So what I really wanted to show is just all the stuff that, you know, women see blood every month. Blood is not sometimes the same thing for some people as it is for others. So, but blood from your own hand, whether it's cutting or picking so hard or digging into one's skin is a different level of the human experience. Not Some people don't ever do that. And some of us do. So for those of us who do or have, I, I wanted to honor that reality as well. Well, I know you had screened it back in 2012, and you had referenced the fact that there just wasn't a whole lot of resources to find back then. Other than running it by mental health professionals and the women in your group, what other kind of research had you done in preparation for the film? That was pretty much it. Just anything I could find online, papers, and I didn't go into the scientific approach as much as probably I could have or should have. For me, I really 
wanted to keep this very much involved with character, with this human experience, meaning that this narrative story, I wanted to follow this character with her emotional life. So I was more focused on that. So I, you know, through the therapist that I talked to and through the other people that I met that were cutters or anyone that was involved in self-harming themselves, I talked to them. I watched other movies that have depicted this behavior, some that I, I learned what I didn't want to do and some that I learned that were also very powerful. So those were the resources at that time. And I don't think the character seeks therapy in the film, although I know you had shared about your own journey and having sought therapy, which I I love. Thank you for sharing that. I think that helps address stigma. Was there any tension point or decision or, or thought process related to having her participate in therapy of any kind? Absolutely. Earlier drafts of the film were a lot of therapy sessions. What happens in my experience with screenwriting is you know, show it, don't say it. I personally am always drawn to very character-driven stories. The therapy scenes, as much as I believe they are important, what we ended up deciding is behind the scenes were the therapy scenes. She learned in her rehab situation how to journal. I guess at the time too, I just felt like Goodwill Hunting really captured that aha moment in therapy. You know, it wasn't your fault. And I I just wasn't trying to recreate something that's already been done. But I I hope that people got that her going away and and learning how to journal. And it's really such a it's such a bigger story in terms of someone's healing process that, you know, in 86 minutes, it's hard to get all that in there. I just really had to I basically just chose to catch her in the early days you know maybe there's a sequel I don't know (laughs) but um but yeah it was it was a creative choice and in the end it seems that it really is a story of hope and optimism is this what you had set out to do and if so why was that so important to you well because I have hope and optimism I feel that you know in early days when I was giving the script to people to read and the pitch even was sort of like, oh, it's about these women that cut themselves. You know, people are like, I don't want to see a movie about that. That sounds depressing. And to me, I always saw it as, no, it's not depressing. It's about healing. It's about people that are like everyone we know. You know, maybe we don't know someone next door or our best friend is cutting themselves, but we're all, you know, dealing with some kind of unprocessed trauma. So, it to me, I always saw it as very light. I didn't see it as a dark story. And in terms of the visual aspect of it, the palette in my mind was always to be light and colorful and full of hope. And the way I see Christabel is she is just a product of where she came from, but she doesn't have to live that life forever. And speaking to what you asked before about the flashback scenes of sexual abuse, I didn't really want to get into the details of that per se. And someone who's just starting to process any abuse from the past, it sometimes does come in flashes. It's, you know, the mind is so powerful, meaning that 
in my experience, it has protected me from information until I was ready to look at it. So I wanted that hopefully visually to come across, but even that isn't sinister, hopefully too much. I mean, yeah, sex abuse is not okay. And it doesn't have to scar us for life. Excuse the pun. Janice has another question. I was just, you know, for the therapists among us and the people who are interested in the turning point moments, I'm wondering how you would describe either for yourself or your character, the key turning points in your sort of your healing journey, like what really just needed to happen in order for you to end up where you are? Well, I think in the film, the turning point for her is to go see her father, is to deal with the thing she's been running from, which is her past, her truth. And when she does go to see him and she sees that he's a he's an old man, he's he's not well physically, it doesn't make it okay, but it frees her up to start to look at her own life in a way that is separate from her past. And so personally, yes, I've, I'm still dealing with that, but it's gotten a lot better. It's my... While I was shooting the film, my own father uh, passed away. And so I didn't even realize now how much I was grieving through that process. But strangely enough, when I was shooting that scene, we so we had no money. And when we would get locations, they were donated. So that a friend of a friend's mother worked at a retirement home in the, in the deep Valley. We weren't even able to scout it or see it. Literally. We just had it for two hours. You can come for two hours. So we showed up with our little crew and the extras, the people that were living there were happy to be in a movie. So they signed little releases and, and everyone. So, okay, here we go. We're going to shoot this thing. And I couldn't stop crying <laughs> because it brought me right back to the last time I saw my father, which he was in a home like that. And I'm like, this is, this is, this is, how am I going to do this? Gratefully, it was appropriate for the scene. And for me personally, just so much of my healing process has been very, very intertwined with my creative process. Now I don't hopefully, I don't consciously use my creative process cathartically, but it does, that does happen. So with this story, I think Christabel really wanted to be with Simon. She wanted to be with herself. She wanted to have a healthy relationship, whatever that might look like at that time. It's not going to be perfect. And Simon's got his own stuff. She couldn't, you know, she needed to be with someone who's also dealing with some demons, but he was safe. Whereas the guy she picked up at the bar or he picked her up, whatever, he wasn't a safe guy. And so their choices, right? So as the healing process slowly happens, we get to make different choices. And I just wanted to show that Christabel is no longer sort of a victim of her circumstance. She's starting to make choices. She's like, I'm going to go see my father. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to move out. Like the big climax is that she leaves her mom's house. <laughs> like that's, you know, it may not be the, you know, crashing third act thing that most people see in films, but for her, it's huge. She could have lived there all her life with her mom and just been in that scenario of her mom living in the past and the Christabel living in the past. And God bless them all. It's easy to stay stuck in those stories. Thank you.
And as we come to a close here, what's next for you? Well, I've been writing a bunch of stuff. I just shot a new feature, uh, well, part of a new feature. As you mentioned in the intro, I'm a film professor at a university here, and we got a bunch of students together. And we shot a few scenes from my my next feature. So we're going to be raising money for that. And I've written a television series that's based on my teenage years in Los Angeles in the 1980s in the punk rock music scene. So I've written a lot of short stories around that time period. And so we're um, hoping to get that up and out in the world. But I'm kind of always still talking about a similar theme, which is overcoming our own, my own inner demons and finding healing and peace within myself and the characters that I've created. So yeah, (laughs) just kind of more of the same, but different little few different circumstances. I I like that journey. That journey is obviously my own personal journey, but those are the sort of films and stories that really resonate to me because it's the human experience, right? None of us are perfect. Thank you for all you've shared. Do you have any final comments for parents, professionals, people with lived experience that you haven't already covered so well? Oh, well, again, I can't stress enough for parents to listen to their kids Pay attention to what's going on. Love them with an open mind and an open heart. I can't imagine having a kid that is going through that. I know friends that have, and I've talked to them in therapy, really go talk to professional people because nobody has, no no one person I think has the answer, but I I do think it takes a village. So being in that conversation, if somebody, if you know someone or or love someone or see someone in pain, to talk to them and ask them what's going on. Thank you for being such a great bodhisattva. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Now I I get to go teach a class. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. uh, Well, we'll go ahead and conclude. We have two questions in the chat. So Okay. I got a minute. Okay. Yeah, with one minute, there's one question I like here. Is <laughs> is there anything you learned from making this film for future projects in terms of mental health and self-injury representation on screen? So do you have any recommendation and do you have any recommendations for other media creators? Oh yeah. Well, I would just say to be as truthful as possible and mindful of uh, your audience, meaning, you know, like I keep saying, not to exploit or, or glamorize, but to have integrity with the story you're telling and that it and that it's in the story organically that it lives in the story truthfully it's not just to have it there for any other reason well thank you very much for all of this and for joining us at ISSS and we hope to see you in the future and we'll let you go to teach your class <laughs> yeah thank you so much everyone have a great thank week. you Christina thank you so much thank you my pleasure thanks for having me We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Psychology of Self-Injury podcast. If you have found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and please help others find us by giving us a five-star rating, writing a positive review, and or telling your friends and colleagues. 
It is not considered therapy or meant to be a replacement for therapy, so if you or someone you love is in crisis and needs to talk to someone, you can reach out to the Crisis Text Line, a global not-for-profit organization providing free mental health texting service through confidential crisis intervention by texting HOME to 741-741. For all things psychology, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at DocWesters. For all things self-injury, follow IPSS on Facebook and Twitter at I-T-R-I-P-L-E-S. I'm Dr. Nicholas Westers. Thank you for listening to The Psychology of Self-Injury.